Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Tethered Nation, you guys have heard me talk about the saddle setup, Tethered Saddle Setup, their Predator platform, for quite some time. This is the second full season that I've used it. Um, I've killed out of it twice now, uh, and really what it has helped me do, I figured instead of, you know, I've given you guys specs, the weight, and how light it is, bulky free that it is, and so on and so forth, but I thought today I would give you a little bit of a testimonial. Um, as, you know, I will credit, you know, and, and there's been a lot of people who've had a lot of influence on how I've started to hunt and how I've kind of evolved as a hunter, but I would say there's been no piece of equipment that's been more instrumental in me making that evolution than Tethered's saddle setups. Um, the reason I say that is, is that, you know, I'm a guy that works like a normal job, like everybody else out there. And so when I go on hunting trips or I'm hunting, you know, I have a limited time to get, to get stuff done. Um, you know, so I typically want to hunt more aggressively and that's something I've challenged myself with the past, you know, year and a half was to just, you know, to be more aggressive and don't lay back. Um, and the saddle setup has really helped me do that because I've spent much more time with boots on the ground scouting than I ever have in years, years past. And that's really because, I'm not carrying a bunch of bulky stuff into the into the timber with me. And so I don't mind. It's not a hindrance to carry my saddle setup. And that way when I find fresh sun, I can get into the tree and I don't have to leave and come back and drop scent. You know, if once I see it, I'm in the tree hunting it. I'm not finding it, setting up a stand, taking the time to do that, then leaving and coming back and hunting it the next day. I'm literally getting into the tree and hunting it at that moment. And I can't say that if I was using any other setup other than a saddle setup, specifically Tethered's gear, that I would be making the same strides I'm making now and becoming a more aggressive and a more mobile hunter. So if this is something that you're interested in, if you want to challenge yourself to be more mobile, more aggressive, and go find deer instead of letting the deer find you, then I would suggest that you go to tetherednation.com and check out all their saddle gear. I guarantee you if you get into it, you won't be disappointed uh, and you'll probably become an addict like me. This podcast is brought to you by Skull Brew Coffee Company. I'm actually having a little bit of Skull Brew Coffee this morning while I record this. Uh, if you're not aware of what Skull Brew Coffee Company is, it's a business that my wife and I started. Uh, in order to give back more to conservation, we roast premium coffee, and it ships out within hours of roasting, guaranteeing that you will get the freshest coffee available. The kicker is that we donate 10% of our proceeds back to conservation 
You choose where the donation goes at checkout. Check us out at skullbrewcoffee.com and let's do some good together and help protect wild places one cup at a time. Visit skullbrewcoffee.com and pledge your support of conservation today. Welcome to the Truth From The Stand Deer Hunting Podcast, brought to you by Skull Brew Coffee Company. I'm your host, Clint Campbell, and you're listening to episode number 160. Today I'm joined by Johnny Stewart, a Pennsylvania mountain buck and public land savage. So stay tuned. All right, all right, all right. What is up, everyone? Happy Wednesday to you. Hope you're doing well. Hope you are feeling fine. We've had a little bit of unseasonably warm weather this past weekend, which probably put a little bit of a damper on any of you guys out there that are still holding tags, trying to fill some late season tags here, at least in Pennsylvania specifically. I'm not sure what the weather looked like elsewhere, but it was a warm one. Uh, It was, I think, mid-60s, maybe even got close to 70 on saturday which i'm sure wasn't uh wasn't great for for uh to to get deer up off their off their feet but i wasn't necessarily so broke up about it because i had some uh i had some family or some some really close friends in town so i wasn't able to get out and do um to do any hunting so for me you know unfortunately i think it's looking more and more like my season is starting to really really wind to to an end uh, the season closes here in pa i think in the next 2 weeks i don't have a calendar in front of me i think it's the 25th of january i think is when it officially closes uh, out out by me so i possibly will be able to get maybe one maybe two more hunts in uh, but really starting to turn my focus uh toward scouting and making some preparations for for next year, uh, you know, uh, I've hit the timber once uh, to to make that effort, uh, but more so just talking to some buddies that I'm going to spend some 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 time with uh, hitting the timber this this uh, this winter and spring to kind of learn some new pieces and, and expand my my opportunities and uh, find some locations where maybe trail camera setups would be uh, w- would be good. Uh, as I'd mentioned, it, you know, in, in previous podcasts. Um, I'm looking to expand my territory, and I've used a lot of the time, you know, late season to make that happen just because I don't have a lot of great uh, late season setups. Um, but we're looking to remedy, we're looking to remedy that. If I find something that's, uh, that looks huntable and good, I will, uh, I will certainly hunt it, but really starting to do my homework for next year. You know, I always like to start with maps. So you know, that's kind of where I'm at right now is spending a little bit of time online, uh, looking at Onyx and looking at some of the public pieces around me that maybe I haven't hit before, or maybe I have hit in the past, but just at a very, at a very high level and didn't really spend a whole lot of time you know, the way I'll start with that is, you know, put some boots on the ground, try to find, locate some sign from this past year, and then probably shed hunt the properties too. You know, I'm admittedly not a great shed hunter, so it's, those trips usually turn into scouts as well. And if I happen upon a shed at the same time, then that's just uh, gravy on top. But with that being said, I think I mentioned in the last podcast, I actually found a shed shed already this year. So one thing I am looking forward to though is uh, is, is maybe getting out and doing a little bit of uh, a little bit of waterfowl hunting here before uh, before time runs out on that. So that'll be the next kind of the next kind of mission will be will be that I won't have a whole lot of time for that, but it's always a nice way to kind of round out the uh, round out the season before we get into the uh, the long period of not having um, any whitetail hunting in our future. For those of you who are or seasons are closed, that's kind of a that's that's you're you're. Re- you're living that reality already, but that doesn't mean there's not a lot of whitetail stuff still kind of going on even outside the timber. I know the ATA was this past week 
Um, had some buddies out there. I didn't go this year. I had some have some other travel obligations here in, in the month of January that I had to kind of prioritize. So I wasn't able to make it to ATA. From what I understand, there were some cool things that came out. I know I had mentioned, I think in the upfront of my podcast last week, that uh, Tethers was going to have some uh, some new stuff coming out, and they didn't disappoint. They have the new Phantom uh, saddle that has uh, that has been announced or launched. I don't know that it's up on their website yet. The last time I kind of looked, it wasn't it wasn't there yet. So I'm sure they're going to have that up in the not so distant future. If you've not looked or checked any of that out, I would definitely hit their YouTube page uh, to get a sense of what that is uh, and, and and what all that entails. They've done a lot of cool stuff to kind of upgrade. Um, the Mantis, which I've used for the past couple years, I'll be you know rocking the Phantom. Uh, hopefully, I may actually get a, able to get maybe one or two hunts here in these last couple weeks of late season in a Phantom. Um, and if I'm able to do that, then I'll give you guys, you know, of course, a full report on how that kind of works and, and and my thoughts on it. But looking at the advancements that they've made are are pretty cool. You know, I think one of the things. Um, people are always looking for whenever you're trying to, you know, become more comfortable on a saddle or whatever. A lot of, you know, a lot of what will potentially dictate that might be your bridge length or where you're setting your tether height. And sometimes your tether height isn't necessarily always able to, to set exactly where you want it. Um, and so they've, uh, they've, uh, they've remedied that with, uh, an adjustable bridge, uh, which is uh, really cool. Still using am steel, uh, because am steel is just, you know, super light and incredibly strong. Um, which makes great, you know, material for a bridge. So, uh, that was one of the things that they advanced. The other thing is, is that, you know, this new saddle is kind of like a one size fits all or one size fits most, which is super cool. Um, I think everything from like a 24 inch waist all the way up to like a 40 inch waist, uh, which is super cool. Cause a lot of the questions people would give you, you know, what size or what people would ask would be what size saddle do I need to wear? I'm, you know, this waist size, you know, what should I get? Um, so they kind of took the guesswork out of that. And then the other thing they did was, is, you know, there was, uh, I think some folks may have mentioned on social, you know, in terms of, you know, avoiding hip pinch and so forth. One of the things is, you know, of course, how long is your bridge and where you're setting your, your tether height. Um, but the other thing is, is, you know, where you position the bridge itself on the loops attached to your saddle. Like if you push position them forward, does it ease the tension on your hips if you position it back? So they actually created like little slots within those loops, those bridge loops on your hips to move your tether, um, into different locations or different positions, uh, around your hips that'll kind of add additional comfort. So they've really kind of listened to all the, you know, things that people who are hunting out of saddles were experiencing and those who maybe were experiencing, tr- uh, or, uh, you know, had trepidation about trying saddle hunting based on, you know, wanting, uh, not sure how comfortable they'd be able to get, uh, their setup to be. Um, and so they've addressed all those things this year, it seems like. So I'm looking forward to uh, spending some time in this new saddle and giving you guys a heads up as to uh, as to as to what my thoughts are on it. But uh, with that, I don't really have any additional updates uh, as far as as far as hunting goes. So I think with that, we'll just kind of get ready to jump into this week's uh, this week's show. Got a really cool show for you. Uh, I've got my buddy Johnny Stewart on. Uh, if any of you out there know who Johnny Stewart is, you know that he is a public land mountain buck just absolute savage, um, travels a lot out of state, hunts, a lot, hunts a lot of different places. Um, he's a guy who typically likes to target a mature deer and, and get after it wherever that might be. Or if he doesn't have anything that's really, um, you know, in that caliber where he wants to focus all of his time on, uh, he will of course, you know, target the, the best group of bucks and maybe he might have, you know, one, two, maybe tops three that he's kind of looking at and that will be his, um, 
you know, th- those will be his huckleberry for, for the year, so to speak. Uh, I've been wanting to have him on for, for a while. Um, you know, just, we have a couple, you know, mutual friends uh, that are, you know, that we're really good friends with. And, and I talk about this in the podcast, you know, we kind of struck up a friendship online through a couple, you know, he's good buddies with Bo Martonic and Greg Litzinger. And so, you know, I'm, of course, you know, good buddies with those guys. And so he and I kind of struck up a friendship online just over social media and stuff like that. And, um, he was one of the guys I talked to probably the most while I was in Iowa. You know, I, I, my struggles there were, um, you know, <laughs> thoroughly discussed. So no need to beat that dead horse here. Um, but he was, you know, very encouraging and, and, and stayed in touch with me during that whole trip, which was, which was super cool. Um, you know, that's the one cool thing about, I think hunters and bow hunters, maybe specifically, um, especially bow hunters, maybe that, you know, are getting after it on, on public lands. Cause a lot of times you run into this, you know, similar challenges and, and so forth. And you can kind of commiserate with each other, or at least understand what each other's going through. Um, and he had a lot of words of encouragement for me while I was out there, which was super helpful. Um, we talk about that a little bit in this, but he and I spoke for a good while. I think it was close to two hours. And so as I'm kind of putting this podcast together, I think I'm going to have it in two sections just because really the first section of what we talk about really is, you know, public land hunting, aggressive public land hunting, and uh, with a little bit of sprinkle in of mountain buck hunting in public land scenarios. And then the second half of our conversation really kind of leans more toward uh, public land, or I'm sorry, leans more toward late season hunting, specifically as it relates to public land and things you might look for for late season. So to keep it kind of compartmentalized, I figured I would kind of chunk these into kind of two two bits and pieces. One last bit of housekeeping before I let you guys go. Um, if you haven't yet, and if you're interested in learning more about my saddle setup specifically, if you're thinking of getting into it, I have a YouTube video that is on the Truth From The Stand YouTube channel where I outline uh, all of my essential saddle gear, how I'm using it, what I'm using on any given on any given hunt when I walk into the timber. So if you've not checked that out yet, head over there and check that out. It, you can find that in the link uh, in my Instagram bio or just go to YouTube and find Truth From The Stand. It'll be there. So with that, we'll go ahead and get cracking and get Johnny Stewart on the line. As always, thank you all for listening. All right, folks, welcome back to another episode of the Truth From The Stand Deer Hunting Podcast. And today I have on a guest that I've been wanting to have on for a a little while. If you're not following him and don't know who he is, I suggest that you get in the know. Um, He is, I kind of refer to him whenever I'm talking to Greg Litzinger as as the savage from from out around the Pittsburgh area. But he is no other than Mr. John Stewart. How you doing, man? I'm doing good, Clint. Thanks for the intro, man. Yeah, man. Well, you dude, it's a... it's funny because I I knew of you before I ever had a chance. I mean, you and I started talking just online and stuff like that because we had a couple mutual friends. Mm-hmm. And I think the first time that I learned of you was actually through our buddy Bo Martonic. You know, and I know you were on, oh. yeah, you were on you were on his show. And then I know, you know, last year you guys went and did a big scout and stuff like that together. And then you and Greg actually went and hunted together. And of course, you know, I'm good buddies with Mr. Litzinger and stuff like that. And so. You know, um, I, I learned a little bit more about you uh, as as I went, and uh, and just you know, you're a diehard hunter. Get after it on public land, and uh, once I learned a little more about you, I was like, all right, this is a guy that I got to start talking to, and because it feels like we're cut from the same cloth. So I appreciate you coming on, man. Yeah, no problem. Anytime. I I, I appreciate being on it for and, sure. Uh, talk, talk. Anytime I have a chance to talk deer hunting, I'm, I'm all for it. <laughs> I know, right? I know it drives my old lady kind of crazy because I will literally pick up anywhere at a restaurant if someone's into deer hunting and willing to talk about it. It's like, 
game. She's like, you don't even know that, guys. Yeah, but we hunt the same areas. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly, exactly. So before we dive into, you know, what we're going to talk about a lot today is, you know, John's well known for his, you know, prowess of hunting public land. We're going to dive into a little bit of late season too, just because, you know, in all honesty, that's the time of year we're kind of sitting in, but it's also something that, you know, in the last podcast, if anyone listened, um, you know, Chad and I touched on it a little bit and late season is one of those things where, you know, I hunted a lot of late seasons on private in the last several years I've shifted to hunting all public. And it's just a little bit of a different animal, and so I'm still kind of getting my my bearings about me in that. But before we jump into all those things, man, if you wouldn't mind, uh, give the folks at home that are listening a little bit about uh, a little bit about Johnny Stewart, where you're from, where you grew up, and how you started hunting. Yeah, definitely. I'm from Southwest PA, um, probably 20 minutes southwest even of Pittsburgh, and where I grew up, it's uh, kind of coal mine towns some small dairy farms. Um, <clears throat> so where I started hunting, it was kind of private land, but it wasn't private land to where it was posted up. It was kind of anybody in town hunted. So to me, growing up, I started bow hunting probably 13, 14, but to me, uh, a large deer buck was probably 120, 120. I mean, that was huge around where I grew up. Mm-hmm. It was uh, yearlings, two-year-olds. You know, if I, I know the guy up the street, I was probably 12. He shot like 125-inch uh, on a local farm, dairy farm, and it was just like I was I'm in awe. I was in awe, and, I, you know, it's still great deer. Right. But um, that's where I grew up, and, and that's where what was big to me. And, and I kind of look back at it um, as I – who I am today, it's kind of like, I, I like using analogy. That's kind of like, uh, I grew up, it would almost be like someone that maybe grew up with money where they took, um, uh, maybe that size deer for granted. Maybe someone that, you know, against not nothing against anybody where you grew up and, you know, you got a hand of cards, you're dealt and that's how you, you live. That's how you play your cards. But, um, maybe if I grew up in the Illinois or Iowa, maybe 125, 130, 140 would be just like, eh. Right. Um, but where I grew up, it was like, wow, you rarely see that. Right. And it kind of sparked me and drove me, you know, and I kind of, in, in the last few years, I started hunting public land to try to get back to that because I did take bigger animals on private land. And I, I want to, you know, get back to that 120 inch, you know, being wow, right. you know, to where, um, yeah, and if you grew up with larger animals around you and seeing bigger bucks, maybe where you lived, you had them, you know, if you were in the Midwest states or wherever, and it would be kind of like, eh, you wouldn't be like, it wouldn't be like a goal. It wouldn't be, have you wouldn't have something to strive for because you see big animals everywhere. Maybe getting one wouldn't be a, so maybe your deer hunting would be something you took for granted, mm-hmm. but it's, it's kind of, I'm glad I grew up that way. That's made, that's what made me driven and I'm I still today kind of, you know, I still believe 125 inch deer. So I get, and that's why I go to public land to try to, you know, and I set my goals higher to where, and it might, I might not shoot a deer with my bow. Like I shot one this year, but uh, I might not shoot a deer for, if I'm looking for a certain animal, two, three years. I, I don't, and I always tell people, I was like, well, at least you got to hunt every year if you didn't kill a deer, but I'm chasing that bigger animal. Cause when I 
do get them. I want it to be like when that the neighbor guy shot the 125. I was like, wow, right. that's what I'm looking for I'm looking for that challenge. Right, right. You know? Yeah, it's it's interesting, man, because I know, and we'll, and we'll get to your Iowa trip here because I know you're getting ready to head out to Iowa here. Um, but it's, mm-hmm. it's like you said, like I grew up in PA too, you know, and I actually have, my dad came up from the Carolinas to visit a couple of weeks ago and he had the first rack buck I ever shot. He had mounted. Now it's nothing to write home about. It's just a yeah. little basket six PA basket six that I shot mm-hmm. when I was probably like 14 or whatever, but I wanted that mount in the house, you know, cause it was the first one that, you know, had some bone on it. And, uh, it's just funny cause growing up, like that was a decent, that was a decent deer. You know what I mean? Like if you saw one of those deer, you know, in the area that I grew up, it was like, oh, wow, that's, you know, rack buck. You know, you didn't see those all the time. And so now when I travel places, like, you know, I just got, you know, went to Iowa this year and, you know, you see some of the caliber of animals that are out there and it's like, and I'm really, I don't take any of it for granted, I guess I should say. You know what Mm -hmm. I mean? It's one of those things where if a deer gets my heart pumping, like I don't really pay attention to the, to the size of the antlers. I try not to at least, um, you know, and if the, if it gets me excited and, and makes me want to shoot it when it walks in, then I'm going to, I'm going to shoot it. You know, that's kind of like, that's kind of how I, I, you know, I guess I operate. And I, I guess in some ways, man, you know, you know, it, yeah, it would be great to live in Iowa or where out Kansas, you know, and hunt, hunt big deer and have that caliber of deer. But sometimes I'm kind of like, you know what, I'm, I think to your point, I think I'm kind of glad I grew up where I did because I have an appreciation for when I see that caliber of animals. Like it's never, it doesn't get old, you know, to put it that way. Yeah, you're. I mean, yeah, we're the same in that respect. That's what makes us hard hunters. Uh, yeah, because we we don't see them big deer all the time, and and it's like when you see one, you're in Iowa, around where even around here, it's like oh, and it's still like man, like it's still you know 130 or whatever. You're on, especially on point, man, that's a good deer. So yeah. that kind of then it never gets old, and you can keep hunting it because if you kind of like maybe shot the biggest deer and you just kind of, to me, you'd be like every year you shoot the big one, big one. If you had like a private or whatever had, which is great. I'd enjoy having my own place too one day or whatever, but uh, maybe for me, it'd be like kind of maybe you get stale a little bit and you would have to just change your goals. It wouldn't be like, uh, you know, and then you might to where, like I said, I don't get one, a deer. Sometimes there's two years I go and I'm like, well, you know, at least I got to hunt every, you know, through the whole season season and watch from beginning you know all the way through late season and and you learn a lot because you're still out there hunting and scouting and um everybody's kind of done and so yeah late season like you said is uh is definitely a great time so yeah it it it, i i've enjoyed late season typically now this was back whenever i was hunting you know some family farms and stuff like that was because all the older guys who hunted the farm and like from the family would basically stop hunting right after, you know, the end of bow season, essentially they would hunt gun season for like a day or two and that'd be about it. And so then all late season, I basically had the property all to myself, you know? And so I really, I actually had the best encounters on that particular property ever during late season. I would never see decent bucks like in bow range during the season. And then once late season hit, I would usually, you know, if I hunted, say I hunted a specific, there was one specific deer I was hunting and I like the one year that just comes to mind. I hunted him four times after Christmas and I saw him, I had an encounter with him three times, you know, and that, and I, mm-hmm. I couldn't catch up to him all, you know, the other, other times of the year, just because of the amount of pressure that was on the property and all the folks that were hunting it and stuff like that. And so I've grown to like late season and I'm personally, I usually am holding the tag, um, in late season in Pennsylvania, just because, you know, my job, I, I, 
you know, I can really only hunt weekends and then I take my rut trip either to Ohio or whatever state I'm going to travel to. And then when I get back, like it's pretty much all over here for, you know, for, for rut for the most part. And, um, and so then I'm basically waiting for late season to come in to try to fill a tag. So, um, that's why I'm trying to get better at late season hunting because a lot of times it ends up turning into scouting for me versus hunting. Cause I'm really starting to prep for the next year and I'm trying to trying to get out of that uh out of that habit a little bit but i know you mentioned you took a deer this year so how's your how, how's your year been so far um pretty good i um uh and my newer like kind of like you said clint you work a lot and you don't have the time now years ago i didn't work as much i have my own business and it kind of dictates when i can hunt mm-hmm. so lately um i think i had five days six days in PA, um, to hunt. And I spent about five days in Ohio where in the past, um, the, when I worked for my other employer, I said, Hey, I need to be off from October to December. And I was able to hunt, but now I change how I hunt because I have my own, I have an excavation business and it's kind of business is good. And, um, you know, weather's still nice in November. So I don't have, I like, get that first week of November. And then I was down Ohio for, you know, four days and I kind of, Oh, I went up to New York and did a little gun hunting. Mm-hmm. I had, I didn't have a lot of time. So like my new motto now, and I'm learning is scout more hunt less. Right. I just, I'm, I find I'm always and cause I know my time is limited. I'm scouting, scouting, scouting right up to the day I kill my deer. I'm still scouting because yeah. the thing, you know, things are always changing from um early season pre rut rut i mean it could be hot and in the next minute it could be so cold right. so i always have cameras out but yeah i i uh i was able to start i started my hunting this year i think i went out first day just to get out but um and i ran cameras you know probably i don't know maybe six eight i, I don't know what i had ten five or whatever but i had them out but um these are places I hunted in PA. It took a few years to learn a place. It's mm-hmm. not just like, Hey, I just picked a spot and I dropped a finger somewhere on a map. And I said, Oh, I'm going to hunt here this year. And I'll just scout this summer. And then, right. or, and that's going to kill deer. Like I got to know, and over the years, all my scouting and, and when I used to hunt from October till, you know, January, um, I was doing a lot of scouting then, and I just compiled so many hours of different States and just, I got my brain's full with different areas and, and every year places change a little bit. Maybe you got a clear cut, like the place I hunted this year, it was a clear cut five years ago when I found it, maybe two years old. And now it's grown up, it's thick and, and just things change slowly. So every year you got to rescout all these areas, or at least, um, year to year, you could just throw camera. I know this is a good area. You get a camera. So that's kind of what I did this year. Right. I just kind of, um, had a spot that I hunted a few years back and I got to know it and I know where the hunters are and know where the deer want to be. So I would put cameras out in random areas that I knew where deer were. And I just kind of kept checking them cameras periodically and kind of, okay, now it's time to strike. So I think it was being in November, uh, and I was hunting up <clears throat> Northern PA. Um, and that's another thing you got to kind of scout that way because like you and me, we don't have, we don't live right there where all that public land is. I, right. I got to travel two hours yep. or five hours or 10, 12 hours. So yeah, I had cameras running this summer and checking them. And then I think it was like the first week of November. I said, well, 
kind of hunting to me. These whitetails kind of is like it's like a a puzzle yeah. that you get. But here's how my take on it is that say you get the box with 500 pieces in it. To me, it's like the picture's not on the box. Right. So it's <laughs> a good you, analogy. You only got, there's 500 pieces, but you only got 10 pieces. It's like, cause right. you don't have the whole puzzle. You just got a few pieces. And so you put them few pieces on there and you got to guess and think, use your brain. Cause that's what it is when I'm in the woods. I'm always thinking, you know, and asking myself questions. So it's like, I got these 10 pieces. I'm trying to see the big picture, right. you know? And sometimes them 10 pieces are all you, you get, or may you keep, because you don't get all 500 pieces. You'll never get it. You don't know what that, unless you can radio call her or something that, that'd be neat. So yeah, that's how I kind of look at it. You're trying to find the picture on the box. So every time I walk in the woods, I'm always thinking. So, but, and I, when I travel to different places, when I went to Iowa last week, I drove out just to put a dozen cameras out and drove home. It was a three day deal. I drove out and the whole way, I don't even turn a radio on. I'm thinking all the scenarios mm-hmm. and there's places in there on that public land that I've hunted and I'm jumping. Okay. I'm going to go here. I remember there's acorns here. There's a good bedding here. Da, da, da. And EHD hit in a couple areas. So I had about six places. I hit in 10 hours and I dropped two cameras, two, 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 two. And I turned around, get in my truck and drove home. But, um, yeah, getting back to like this season. So yeah, like the first week of November I did. Um, and I don't, you know, sometimes it's real cold. I, and, uh, sometimes I don't get out there before daylight. I think I'm getting out there before daylight is good. Cause sometimes deer shut their brain off to humans walking in the woods before daylight. It's I've right. walked up on deer. just like, that you know they associate humans with danger daylight you know right but then sometimes i feel like uh sometimes i don't get in there till eight or nine but whatever um so yeah i I spent 10 hours in a tree in pennsylvania this year and i shot about 100 maybe 140 inch eight point and i missed 150 inch or uh a 10 point two days before that Hmm. so it, it it was a good season but you know, in the past, I might have hunted more, mm-hmm. but I'm evolving and I'm growing to where, and then each time you go in the woods, Clint, you know, you're sent, like like we talked about, right, when you were in, I was following you when you were out in Iowa, and you go in hard four, five, six days, eight days, mm-hmm. and you're going to start sleeping up because you can't keep that, yep. you know, mentally and physically, that's tough to do everything perfect, get to your tree, be sent free, don't spook, you got all these things when you're going to your stand that yeah. is draining on you, you know, and, and like, I remember texting, said, Hey, take a day off, drink a beer, get up, yep. sleep in, you know, actually deliberately yep. do that. So then you kind of, and then sometimes you'll kick yourself. Ah, I need to get out there, but you need that time to, whether it's wash your clothes or sleep in, think about it, or just take a walk, check a new area. Cause so, you know, the most recent signs are the best sign. You might see it and get, get up in a tree. But, and, and I'm, I'm learning that more is, I guess my new mouth, I'm going to, I scout more and hunt less because of my, my job and because it works. Yeah. Um, so yeah, and, and I'm not bragging that I put 10 hours in a tree this year and shot one and missed one. Right. Yeah. I was bragging, but it's like, but then again, I'm talking about places that I've been, I spent hours, I studied maps and, yeah. you know, I shed hunt it and, and it's just at all, it all comes together and, and I, over time, I kind of 
almost you almost become the deer. You you uh, you know, people talk about like scrapes and rub lines and all you know different terminology. And when I was younger, I used to read books and I would like outline articles. And I thought it was like a black and white. There was an answer. I wanted a big buck. I thought it was like, right. do this, man, here, you're going to kill a deer. So I would like read all these articles. And I remember I was like, man, I'm going to find it. I remember, I don't know why, when I was younger, I built this wooden tree stand, you know, it was on a trail going to the field, you know, okay, they got to, they go from the bed to the field. Like that was beating my head. Right. And I sat along the heaviest trail that I found. I didn't see a deer walk on it. I seen a deer down in the woods. I'm like, what's happening? I'm supposed to be on this trail, coming on this trail. This is what I this is what I learned. Right. You know? But right. the deer was down there milling on brows and acorns. But um anyways. Yeah. I yeah, know. it's like another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. I, I think it's, I, you said a couple things there that I thought was, was, was really cool. You, know, you talked about how you changed up, how you hunted. Well, first, let me say this. Let me back up for a second and just say, you know, thanks and how much I appreciated the, the dialogue we had while I was out in Iowa. Like, cause I, I actually probably was talking to you more than just about anybody else on the, uh, on the entire yeah. trip, you know, going back and forth. And, and I remember when you sent me that text and said, Hey, just take tomorrow, take, take the morning off and relax. Just get out, get out of, yeah. get out of your head, you know? And I did. And I kind of set a new plan and went and scouted and, you know, the rest is history. I ended up killing, killing a deer. Um, but a lot of it was doing exactly what you're talking about. And that was one of the things that the kind of I was forced to do going out there because I didn't know much about the areas I was hunting. Is I just had to scout every day and I'd find hot sign mm-hmm. and I'd set up and then I'd hunt it that evening. You know, when I found it, I'd hunt it through the evening. And then if the wind was right, I would come back and hunt it in the morning since I knew how to get in and out quietly, you know, since I walked to it in the daylight. And then I would hunt it for a couple hours in the morning and if nothing if nothing moved or I didn't see anything that I wanted to see that was what I was looking for, then I would just pull my stuff and I'd move on and I'd just start walking again, you know, just, and that was kind of what I did, did every day. But the one thing that you mentioned that I thought was a really cool analogy was that, you know, you, you, you get a 500, you know, hunting bucks, it's a 500 piece puzzle that you get, but there's no picture. I thought that that was just like such the right way to say it because that's so true. Like you've got this puzzle, but you have no clue what it looks like. And I think the thing that people make the mistake of, when they talk to, when they see someone like you, you know, who's, who's an accomplished, you know, public land hunter, or if they're thinking of the guys from like the hunting public or a Dan Enfault or a John Eberhardt, or just name, name guys who are, who, who are known for getting it done, right. And known for being like good, like whitetail hunting strategy guys. Right. It's like everyone thinks they walk into the woods and know exactly what's going to happen and how things are going to play out. And once they learn a spot, they can start to predict that stuff. But like, they're the same as everybody else. Like if they walk onto a new piece and don't, and haven't spent several years working it, like it's a blank puzzle that's for them it. too. You know what I mean? It, it, and that's, that's they don't have, big, they don't have all big, the answers. I'm in, I'm into like public land hunting. You know, I've hunted it throughout my life, but probably the last eight, nine years, it's strictly, unless I might go shoot a doe on my buddy's farm or something, but it's pretty strictly. And now I compiled, and like I said, in the beginning years, I'd 
I didn't work all winter. Mm-hmm. So I did what you did, Clint. I took these spots where there was Iowa, Illinois, Ohio, wherever I was hunting, and I would scout and hunt, scout and hunt. So I did that for eight years, scout and hunt. So that's why this year, you know, and when I went out to Iowa, yeah, I drove 12 hours and I put 12 cameras up in 10 hours, you know, and then I jumped in my, you know, and I, I slept one, I drove out, slept and come back. But it was like all them years be, I've been out there, maybe. I don't know, five, six times I'm thinking mm-hmm. and all them years being out there. So I have all this knowledge of all this, these good areas that I don't have to do what you did this year. I'm going right. Like I, I went right between gun season and I went out and I put them cameras out, mm-hmm. you know, but it takes time to learn them areas. Right. And if you get a deer like your first, second time, and that's good, like what you did. And I wanted to tell you, congratulations. I didn't, you know, I didn't tell you in person, but that's, that's good. Cause you took a new area and people say, you know, people look like I mean a pinch point on a on you know onyx or the topo. Mm-hmm. That's that's a start in the right direction. But till you get out there and you you walk, maybe someone's hunting there. Maybe uh, who, who knows what's going on there. Maybe the deer you're looking for doesn't exist or, right. or whatever. So you have to get out there and walk. Yeah. You know. I mean, so. I think I think the biggest thing for me was that you know I can't say that there was any one setup that I had that would have been like you know you know, classic, go into a place you're not familiar with, you go sit in a pinch somewhere where deer are going to likely funnel through. I didn't really have any of those setups. Like, I, I literally just went and kind of took the method of, um, you know, I was like, I'm going to go either kill a deer or bump a deer. One of those two things are going to happen. And I was like, and if I bump it, that's fine, because then I'm going to know that there's deer there. You know, and that yeah, was kind of my whole philosophy. And then once I bumped the deer from an area you know, one or two or whatever the case was, then I would bust out my map and look and be like, all right, if I'm a deer living in this area, and I would look at what time of day it was too. Was it the morning? Was it the later in the afternoon? Like, were they likely getting up and browsing or was it the time of day that they should be bedded, you know? So I tried to figure out were they up or was it were they in their bed, you know, so to speak, and try to figure out how close to bed I was. And then I would look and say, all right, what's their morning time pattern going to be here? Like, where are they likely going to go, go come from in the morning if they were coming back here? And then if it's the evening, where are they likely headed to? And then I would look mm-hmm. and say, all right, well, these are probably the options that they're going to use. Here's a destination food source. I know I passed some oaks over here, so they're probably browsing over there. You know, and so I started figuring out, like, okay, now that I know there's some in this area, what are the, what are the things that might be, you know, useful to me to set up on? you know, that I can, you know, guarantee myself that they're going to get close enough to get a shot opportunity, you know? And so that's kind of mm-hmm. how I played that whole, that whole trip, um, which was maybe a little counterintuitive because it wasn't like, you know, I was, I was more so honestly, man, I was more so working the wind and the terrain was kind of secondary. Yeah. You know, yeah, definitely. And that was, yeah, I know, that's and I'm, my move. You, could, you could use a lot more of the wind for some of the mountains around here. I don't really even, I'm not, I don't even care about the wind because you can't, play it all the time but and what you did was right last year i was i was in ohio as a hard hunted piece of property and i went in about november 10th 11th it was right after the season ended in pennsylvania and i went down there and i went in about prime time five o'clock and i just run through the woods not run but i moved fast through the woods right and i just i have i haven't been there and i said I'm going to go and that guy's hunted hard and I can see where a guy, a guy's been putting a stand on his tree. He's been walking every day. Okay. I'm going to eliminate this. And I just kept walking, walking till I jumped the deer. I said, mm-hmm. Oh, it's pro- guy's been hunting here 
for the first, last week or two and deer are beyond them like white on rice and it's like okay there's a deer here there's a reason for it so this is like a spot maybe i would hunt i would you know and i just eliminated so much scouting free everything just just go through the woods until you find a deer yeah because not even believe when you're on public land there they live with humans it's yep. not a where they're gonna uh and here's my another analogy i i now that i am scouting more and hunting less um the worst thing and a lot of the some guys i talk oh there's a guy hunting my spot he's hunting my deer most of the people uh, i might see parked where i'm hunting uh in my experience none of them people ever killed the deer i was after right it was like they're ruining it and i'm using them as a pawn i'm like i'm utilizing okay because it's like I feel like when you're hunting, that's the worst time for you. Um, I mean, how do I want to say this? Uh, when you're out there hunting, you're up in a tree, and whether you know it or not, you're you're um, putting scent out. Well, you know you're putting scent out, even though the wind's going this way. You know you're you're putting scent out, and the worst thing for an animal that living there is to smell you but not know where you're at. If the wind's swirling, they just get, to me, they get freaked out. Like right. maybe the wind's swirling, they catch a smell of you. And it's like, to me, that's predator right there. He said, mm-hmm. this, you're, you're, you're hiding ambushing him, it or whatever. And, and to where if you're hiking through the woods, you're giving them the sense they could see you. Mm-hmm. They could probably maybe smell you and see you. And it's like, okay, I, it's, it's, I know he's not, I mean, he might be a threat, but I got all these, you know, maybe you're not showing like you're a predator, but soon as you get up in that tree or as soon as you ambush and the scent disperses, that's why I hunt less because you're, you're hunting that spot, putting scent, putting scent, putting scent. And it's just scaring them to me. Like my analogy to that, to that is I thought about it. It's like, Say, Clint, I, if I if I told you or your old lady, if you live in a small town, maybe there's a thousand people in your town, like, hey, I knock on your door, I'm a policeman, hey, there's a uh, murderer running the streets here. There's a, you know, like a serial killer. You'd be like, holy shit. Right. You'd be freaked out. You know, you'd be like, your old lady be freaked out, getting a gun, sitting by the bed, looking out the window and shit. But um, if I told you, I said, are you seen on a news, hey, and there's a killer in Chicago. He doesn't. All right. Well, you know, people go die in Chicago every day. You know, you're right. going to go to sleep. To me, the analogy is like that's like a deer. He smells you, but he cannot see you, and it's just like he freaked out. You know. Right. And everybody hunts, hunts, and and you're just you're just freaking them out. You know, to where, uh, you know, the analogy would be like I said, the guy, um, the murder in Chicago. It's like, hey, uh, he's way over there. He ain't, you know, it's like when he sees you. Here's it. You jump and he's like, okay, you know, run a little bit. You know, I used to take my dog when I had a dog. I'd take him all the time because it was just, oh, there's a guy walking his dog. Right. And meanwhile, you're soaking up into like a sponge. You're like, oh, okay, I can see why I know. And then, then boom, a lot of times I go in at nighttime and hang, you know, stand and stuff like that. But yeah, like I am starting to hunt a lot less because it, you're just uh, putting yeah. that scent. I don't need those onics or anything. It's like I, I'm trying to give the deer a chance. You know, like right. I want that challenge. You know, I just, you know, keep scent free and, yeah. and, and stuff like that. But, um, yeah. So, I mean, yeah. it's, it's, uh, I mean, it's the classic, like first sit, best sit, right? It's like, I don't want to let them know that I'm going to, that I'm a, that I'm a threat until I am a threat. 
you know, that's, you know what I mean? And that's, it's funny you mentioned about the dogs. I'm actually getting ready to go scout tomorrow uh, morning and uh, I'm taking my dog with me because I kind of thought about the same thing to where I was like, you know what, you know, it's gun season's over. The the woods have been beat up. You know, I'm just going to go out and take the dog and we're not going to try to be quiet. We're going to go out and do some late season scouting, try to figure out some of these. There's a bigger piece near me that I want to try to start to figure out because it's, that was the other thing I kind of learned on that trip to Iowa was that, you know, I really want to hunt bigger pieces of public because I want to be able to cover ground. You know, and a lot of the pieces of public that I typically hunt, you know, will be a couple hundred acres versus a couple thousand. And so I'm looking for yeah. places now that where it's like I can get out and just walk. You know, because I think that's the other thing, too, is that, you know, whenever I can cover several thousand acres, it's like I'm not worried about bumping deer because I'll just go find another deer. You know, it's like I'm not too yep. concerned about, oh, I bumped that buck out of his bed. You know, it's like, well, I'll wait, I'll hunt him in that bed and try to bump and dump, you know, and see if he comes back. And if he doesn't, then I'll just move on and find another one. You know, can't mm-hmm. do that whenever you're on small piece or if you're, when you're on small private pieces, you have to be a little bit more cautious. But that's the other part that I kind of like about public is I can be aggressive like that because then I can make up for any, you know, any mistakes that I make. I have a better opportunity to kind of correct them and, and get on another deer. Um, yeah, that big, the bigger land, like I, I, I like hunting, I like going after one animal, Right. like I hunt one animal or I have like two or three that I know I want to hunt, but, uh, it kind of, if you're, maybe if you're just hunting side and looking for a decent buck, I feel like you can learn more by learning that animal, mm-hmm. you know, and, and see how he works. And then talking about late season, like even I, I love, I used to get out even around here where I live, I used to. Before, if it snowed, I, I'd drive the roads before daylight to find a deer track. I'm obsessed with deer tracks and learning. You can learn so much by tracking a deer, you know. But I, and I do like the another reason I like the bigger piece of public land is because you're not limited to, okay, he's on private land. Uh, you know, not your, your, if you're hunting that one animal, he's over there. You're nothing you can do about it. But that, like the public land, the bigger amounts, just kind of, you can follow him wherever he goes and track him, you know. Yeah. Hundred percent, man. So let me ask you this, man. This is one thing I was talking with my buddy Chad about, and we were kind of going, not going back and forth, but just talking about, you know, how we would prioritize different sign and stuff like that. So, you know, when you when you put boots on the ground somewhere, like say you're going to a piece where it's maybe, maybe you've hunted it for a year or two years, or maybe it's the first year you're going to be on it and you're going to kind of do a scout through, you know, what particular sign? And I know it's probably related to the time of year. But, you know, what type of sign to you is, like, sends off your spidey senses that says, all right, good deer, and it's active, and I need to be here. I, this is the spot I need to be in. What what type of things kind of come together for you to kind of have that moment? Well, I think a lot of times I'll even, like, maybe if it's in the fall, getting into hunting season where uh, you're going to want to hunt an area, maybe you're checking out a new spot, or um, I like to go in a day or so after the rain and see if, hey, there's deer actively walking the tree you could actually see their tracks or like anybody i look for a big rub everybody wants to see that big rub because that just mm-hmm. tells you right there what's there um but um you know you're always looking for scrapes just kind of the general sign uh cover is a big thing um a lot of bucks if they're going to move during a day i mean there's them times where they're just going to be in the middle of open woods and, and and over and there's another thing over the years when you see, you know, I was always hunting for, when I was younger, I was told to hunt a trail, hunt a trail. Every time I see a buck along the road, he's just in the middle of woods. There is no trail. Right. <laughs> so, um, gravitate towards some cover, maybe topo, but, um, 
they got they're going to want to a mature deer is going to want to have cover close by and like even now like uh like this year it was kind of like okay it just you kind of get the feel you become the deer just okay not the in the area some of the areas i've hunted this year kind of really flat doesn't have a lot of topography it's kind of like okay this is some nice cover here but guys kind of hunt here okay so i'm going to eliminate that but down in this creek bottom or something long this is good i can see a deer being down in here it has the cover it has that it has browse and okay i always see does here you know we always want to know where does are living because it you know they'll be there and a buck's going to come see them does so you want to kind of find it's not like it's kind of you just find the does you know and just kind of a buck he'll walk you know just like i'm going to go like in his head he's like oh, i want to go sniff this area i know does hang out here or he might go to where they fed at night right before daylight and follow to where their bed is and then he'll run around in a circle maybe and then he'll just uh you know so that time of year he's he's looking for does so you want to know where the does are right. and you got to have you know, when some of the bigger bucks maybe they might be nocturnal so where is he going to be during the daytime he's going to get up and move whether he's you know he, he needs to have cover but um you know i'm always looking for big rubs but i even found some of the bigger bucks they get older i'm talking six seven uh, they quit rubbing years that i follow them they the whole woods up and i just think they get to the point where they don't need to they're not wasting all that injury their energy their body's so big and they're in charge just, just look at me i don't need to be rubbing you know what i mean right. you know, it's great snack. one year i two years ago i was hunting a deer he's 145 inch eight point and he had the whole area rubbed up beds he lived in it's like a 20 year old clear cut i seen him twice i had my bow back and uh he made it through. I said, okay, I'll find him next year, next year. And that's another thing. Deer die or move. It's through the breeding season into the winter. They'll they'll keep that territory and then come, you know, shed season in the summer. They'll, they'll maneuver. They'll, mm-hmm. they'll, it's kind of like the King's dead. I'm going to, you know, they, they, they'll move to better spots or where they, uh, you know, uh, that deer I hunted, he went, he was living there in that um, clear cut, thirty year old. And I said, next year I got him, right. you know, because what I did, it was kind of like a rubs, and I didn't walk around and I could put a couple stands up hunting. And so next year I went back, ain't no sign of him, ain't no rubs in there. I'm like, I know he made it. I got a picture of him late, you know, I didn't find his horns or anything. I said he's here. So then the following year, I never even knew he existed. I said, I know he's alive. I just don't know where he's at. And then this year he popped up about a <laughs> half a mile away on a, you know my uh mineral echo mineral like summer and he's probably i don't know 50s eight point you know or so but then i've like and then i scavenged that area like back and forth i spent hours and hours walking i just need to find a rub a clue to tell me where he's at like and i know i was in his home area because i got other pictures of him through the season and he just he ain't rubbing anymore he don't need to you know right but uh yeah always looking for, for but fresh sign um always looking for scrapes. I mean, um, but you got to have some plan on, uh, having some cover. He, he got to be able to be comfortable where he's walking and you, you want to know where the deer's going to be during daylight. Not, not, you know, I spent years when I was younger before cameras, I, I'd find a rub and I'd sit there. And then after so many years sitting by that rub, it's just like the cover wasn't, he was just, right. Hey, the deer's just going to come walk through the middle of the open woods. You know, we're talking about his life here. You know, right. he got to be secure 
and 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 that's another thing. Late season, he'll he'll kind of let his guard down a little bit. He don't need all that cover because he needs the food, and then the hunters are out of the woods. Right. But I think having some type of cover around, you know, is is a is key. Yeah. Is a is a key. Yeah. You know, that's that's for sure, and that's what you need to get mature bucks. They, they need to have the cover to get away to get to that age. So like when I'm looking for these public lands that I hunt these bigger pieces of public lands, I've got to either have the cover so they can get away or some place might have for some reason, not a lot of pressure, which is possible. We could find a place that doesn't have a lot of pressure so they can survive mm-hmm. or topography. Some places are real rugged that people that keeps them away. So they have to make it to the age to be, you know, and they got to have them, you got to have the cover. Yeah. But it's kind of, like no, I think just walking. I think the biggest thing for me, Clint, is thinking about it is studying maps, studying square miles. I mean, studying it to where it's like you almost have it in your brain. Like a like it might take you a, a few years looking at maps, putting trail cameras to where you like I can walk through the woods and and know you know you'll you'll just know that area. Like and that's another thing I would touch on is don't leave your hunt up to a hope. Right. I don't hope don't, don't hope for anything in life. I mean, right. you know, I'm like, I hope his deer come. But no, no, no. I want to know the deer's going to come by. I want to know what's going on in the area. You know, I want to know where the does are. I want to know where the cover is. Know where he might be better. Know where he's at during the daytime. It's all about knowing. And that's what I was thinking about. Another analogy would be like, um, I've watched Dateline. You ever watch Dateline? Yeah. And they on, on NBC. That's like the prosecutor. You know he. He waits till he has all the information before he goes to court. Yeah. It's not like he got a couple clues. It'd be like you going, oh, I got a rub here. And, and I think, <laughs> and it's like, well, let's go to trial. Right. Like, and I got a rub. You know, it should be like, well, I, I found a speck of blood. Well, is there dead? But not, no, no. Like, yeah. I'm hoping they, you know, you'll convict them. And you're like, no, right, right. don't you got to have all them clues. you got to know. You got, so, like, and there's times I've been in a tree where, like, I couldn't even breathe. I'm, like, hyperventilating because I knew that whether it's just being in that spot or just, just six, and the sixth sense comes in, too. After all them years, you know, I've been in a spot where it's, like, I'm not, like, I've been in a spot where I knew I was going to kill a deer. It was, like, the time the clock went, I was, like, oh, man, I've been here eight hours, and I didn't even know because I'm going to kill a deer. And the next day, boom, I killed a deer. Right. It's just you. It all comes together, and it's and it's your instincts too. Like, like you think I follow deer in the winter. I follow them up over mountains, just you know. And sometimes I follow deer and tracking them. And it's like, man, I wouldn't even put a camera. He walk. He just walks miscellaneously up over this left, right. There ain't no rhyme or reason to it. And that's another thing. Like I said, become the deer. Like um, that's another analogy is to be like a deer doesn't like a big mature buck doesn't say okay let me think he ain't rubbing his chin like okay i need the wind to be this way i need a little bit of brush behind me oh i need a little flat that's what i'm looking for it's just like he don't think like that it's just as he's going through the woods his instincts take over i thought you know they look for a place to bed uh until they find if it's not a place that they they're in often Mm -hmm. um he, he just his instincts tell him where to bed and it's just so many years of doing it, he, for him to survive, he knows what works. And it's the same thing with me. It's like, I know what works. I mean, sometimes I can't really tell you anything. Like I put guys in spot. This is a good spot. This is a good spot. And then maybe at the, and I look around, this is why, 
or even like doing these podcasts. It's like only recently I started thinking, why is this good? I don't really have all the answers. My instincts tell me, right? You know, all my out and kind of like this is good like i sent my buddy to iowa to one year or no he come out with me and i was shooting for 170 i put here there's a good one over here go shoot one i said i passed up two yesterday over this spot and he went over and he shot like 145 inch eight or a <laughs> nice. 10 or something. and then two years later i said hey he drew a bow tag and i've been going out late season i said i got a good spot for you here go, go hunt this spot and he shot 160 inch you know right but it's they put people in these spots. Good. That's, it's going to be a good spot. Like this year, I put a blind up for a guy. It's a good spot. And he didn't hunt it that much. I ain't seeing that. And I said, I'm telling you, you got to be there first week in November. And I showed him the trail cameras. There. You see? <laughs> <laughs> I think it comes down to instincts a right. lot. And always asking your, when you're walking, scouting, ask your, ask your, where's this deer going if you're following? What's he eating? Just, and, and it is like the puzzle, too. A lot of you're trying to find that picture on the front of the box, and a lot of it is um, guesswork. You don't know everything, and I think that's why I like it the most. It's not just you don't have all the puzzles. You're trying to also put in your own two cents of what you learned from other bucks that you hunted. Yeah. You know, but I think it's just experience times being out there, and, you know, I got – piles of cameras and you just keep minimizing oh you put them on a public land yeah what if someone steals them i said i just put another one up you know right yeah. i don't care you know <laughs> i really want to know what's going on i have to know and that's the biggest thing is to not hope but to know right. what's going on and if you're sitting in a tree and you don't know or maybe you're sitting at a tree to learn more that's a different thing but if you're sitting there to kill it you want to know as much as you possibly can like you said but when you go out you know, in the new spot you don't know everything yeah. You know, but so you, you walk through and you jump a deer and you try to, and it's, that's, what's great about it. You're always thinking, trying to, trying to figure it out, you know? Yeah. I mean, you just, yeah, you're just taking the pieces as they come and be, I think the biggest thing is just like when you're in the timber, be receptive and be aware of your surroundings, right? Cause there's all kinds of clues and pieces that are there. If you just, if you just, yeah. if you just pay attention to it. And I liked what you said about, you know, knowing versus, versus hoping, because I think, you know, in that is it kind of breeds confidence right and that's the one thing like you know again whenever i was out you know on that hunt i didn't know the area really at all you know but what i did know is whenever i walked across really good sign i looked at it i was like i know that's good sign i know that it's fresh i know that this i know that there's a good buck in here i'm hunting it right and so i would get up into the tree expecting to see to see the deer you know what i mean like otherwise otherwise i wasn't getting into the tree you know, you're right. You got like, yeah, to believe in yourself. You got to be confident and believe in, in your, you know, your scouting and all that. You have to believe in your spot. Yep. You can't be just like, mm-hmm. but then again, you can't believe in it so much where like you just get in a tree and you hunt every, I believe it. I'm just telling myself, you, you got to be kind of optimistic and believe, but you got to be realistic because there, there's times that if I have the slightest thought that a deer smell me or that buck that I'm hunting smell me, I'll move. Oh yeah. I, I, I won't because you, you don't know but yep. that's where you also got to be realistic you know like, oh this is a good spot it's a good spot but that's what my buddy one year said, man there's nobody on here's a good spot i said you're hunting there every day right yeah yeah but no one else is here. i said well you're not seeing because you you're fucking it up you right. know what i mean <laughs> you're not really super human you're just another guy you right. know what i mean and you don't have to make a big move um he might know you're there you might it might be 100 yards 200 yards i mean right. I, I, one time my buddy was way up in this tree and then those come by or no, the buck come by and saw him up in a tree. 
and it kind of spooked a little bit. He kept hunting that tree. Mm-hmm. So once you move, so the next time he's following two doe, the two doe come at 20 yards. He's getting ready. He got his bow ready. A buck's following. He's like, here he comes. He said, that buck come. And he made like a half moon out around his stand, out to about 50 <laughs> yards, then back on the doe. I said, yeah, he knows you're there. Right. And I, and at one I, I did the same thing one year I was in Iowa. I, uh, I put a stand up. I jumped a deer as a spot I wanted to check. I took my stand. I jumped it. Long story short, I jumped him. It was windy. It was right before dark. And I had my stand with me and I, um, he ran, but I couldn't see where he went. I put a stand up in a tree and uh, it was windy. And then as soon as I got up in a tree, I, I was hanging for the next morning. So I get up in a tree, I look out and I seen a tail flicker. Like, oh, what was that? Was it that buck? Was he standing there watching me put the stand up? So I got in that stand the next morning, right? Cause there was a fence down and he would jump right there. And that's why I put my seat, jump over that fence all the time. So I get up in a tree. And I sat in that tree till maybe nine and, uh, the wind was come hit me right in the face and upwind, I could smell like a, a rutting buck at like nine in the morning. Mm-hmm. I said, and I said, and I, and then I'm like, wow, that was a buck upwind to me, you know, out of sight. And then I sat there and said, I said, you know what? I said, that deer ain't jumping a fence here. He's jumping a fence upwind another 50 yards because he knows I'm in this damn tree. He stood there and watched me. Right. You know, that's what I was thinking. I said, it was like 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock. I get down and I go upwind and I 50 yards and there was another fence down. That's, you know, I put the stand up right before dark. Here he came and, and he came, you know, so he knew I was there and all I had to do was make that move. Um, yeah. I, I, I didn't get that deer, but anyways, that, I mean, don't be in that. Don't be afraid to move. If you think you messed it up, Get down, go move your stand. And to your point, sometimes you don't have to move move far. I mean, that was on that trip. It's like that last that deer that I missed twice. Like I yeah. saw him, whatever it was. I think five different encounters I had with him. You know, missed him twice, saw him three other times. And the last time he got he figured out where I was, what was going on, and he circled downwind of me, saw me, and smelled me. Right, and I was like, he was like forty yards behind me, and I was like, well, and it was interesting because I watched him learn. Like he was trying to figure out why is why I hear like a buck, buck sparring down here or fighting down here in a grunt, and then I don't see any bucks, you know. And so, after like the third time we had an encounter, he was like, "Eh, you know what? I'm gonna go ahead and circle down wind of this area." And he he did it up like this logging trail where he had to cross an opening and expose himself. But to him, I guess it was worth it to that two seconds of exposure to get down wind so he could see what was going on before he came out you know, to see what bucks were there. And he saw me, he's, he's winded me and, you know, and he bounded off and I watched him go away. And I was like, that's probably game over for that guy. And I went and scouted that next day, a couple different ridges. And that's, I bumped that buck out of that bed. And then I set up right 30 yards from where that bed was at. And it was only 120 yards from where that deer had seen me the day before. You know what I mean? That was just down the ridge further. And that was, that was all that I needed was just to make that little bit of a move, you know what I mean? Because I knew I was still in a spot where I was like, the sign was there. The activity was there. I was like, I don't need to leave the area. I was like, I just need to move to where they don't know where I'm at anymore. You're right. That's that's a big thing. People, and I've seen it on TV and the guys, oh, I'm just sitting there. I said, move. I spoke. I said, well, move. I mean, sometimes if you have a little doubt in your mind, I don't, I don't think, yeah, move. Yeah, you know, like the signs there, the deer are there. They're they're going to be there there for a reason. 
All right, folks, that's a wrap for today's show. I'd like to thank all of you for listening. If you haven't yet, please head over to iTunes and leave us a five-star rating and be sure to subscribe to the podcast. We'd be super appreciative if you do those two things for us. And before I shut this thing down, I need to give a big shout-out to our partners who continue to help us make this podcast possible. Tethered, Exodus Outdoor Gear, Skull Brew Coffee Company, Gumleaf USA Boots, Obsession Bows, Ramcat Broadheads, Trophy Taker Rests, and Dead Down Wind. And until next time, we'll see y'all. All right, gang, the new Truth merch is in stock at truthfromthestand.com and on YouTube below any of the Truth From The Stand videos. I've got some new hats, beanies, t-shirts, long-sleeve t-shirts, and sweatshirts. There's even a new do-hard-shit hat for those of us who like to embrace micro-dosing adversity. So head to truthfromthestand.com and check out the new gear and use the code TRUTH, T-R-U-T-H, and save yourself some cash on the new gear.